Welcome to Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Today we are talking about grief with Cynthia Mylucky, Bereavement and Community Services Manager with Hospice of the Foothills. Cynthia has a master's in applied psychology with an emphasis on death, dying, and bereavement. She is a certified thanatologist through the Association of Death Educators and Counselors. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you, Lori. I'm so happy to be here with you and sharing this with our community. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, and it's such an appropriate time of year to acknowledge grief in our world, in our life. And I have so many questions I want to talk to you about. But before we get started, I just want to touch base on this term that I had to look up, thanatologist, and what drew you to this field? Well, some of that is probably the wounded healer story. Um, You know, during your introduction, you just said something that I caught. um, And that was, you know, we're talking about death and yet death uh, is part of life. And those are kind of the two bookends, you know, we're born and then we die. It's not if we're born or if we die, people are born and they die. And in between, it's all practice. And a lot of that practice, I think, is what we call grief because we all, you know, loss is a continuum throughout our lives. And um, to die well sometimes means that we, we live well. And um, part of living well is mourning well, doing our grief work, whatever way we do it. But um, for me personally, I have a uh, had early etiology, early loss in life, death in, lo- in life. My parents both died young. My father died before the hospice benefit was um, in our country was was a benefit. So he died in a hospital and and um, and I was very young. I was in my mid 20s. So it really informed my life choices, my education choices. And um, my mother died and it's been uh, 22 years since that time on hospice. And I had become a hospice volunteer. I was very interested in end-of-life education. I was interested in being a person that helped change our perception as a culture about this thing called death and um, to bring it out of the closet. So it all coalesced into me returning to graduate school and focusing on hospice as the setting to deliver my gifts and, you know, my passion for, for this kind of work, deep work. Well, you and hospice make such a difference in this community with uh, those of us who are grieving. And, and you'd said earlier in a conversation, we're all grieving. Yes. We all have something to grieve about. Mm-hmm. Um, but c- can you talk about what uh, grief is and, and maybe what some symptoms are of grief? Mm. Well, there's a, you know, that's a really broad question because grief is different for everyone. But I think simply put, it is the response, uh, the emotional response to change in one's life. And again, speaking about that continuum, 
Um, there's a great equation I like to use when I'm educating and it's uh, change equals loss equals grief, sometimes, not always, equals growth, hopefully always, um, because it is those valleys in our lives where we really learn, where um, it is deep work. And so um, when you're in that valley, whether it's the loss of a job, um, secondary losses from a, a death, uh, losses like uh, dreams and hopes and and to real tangibles like um, the, the roof over your head. A lot of people um, when they're dealing with the death of a loved one are also, um, you know, really challenged and threatened on a very primary level um, financially. And that's a huge risk factor for grief. But generally speaking, <clears throat> the emotions of grief can range from numbness to, um, you know, utter despair. Um, everyone is different. And <clears throat> I think that the other thing that I've noticed about grief in working um, over this, you know, my lifespan is that just because one, we grieve one way one time, and when we experience a next loss, it's not necessarily going to be our same response. So even within an individual, grief is very unique. That is such an interesting thought. I, I never would have, um, would have thought that. But, but again, I think a lot of us, I, I just speak for myself, avoid thinking about grief unless it happens in our lives. And I, I that's like the benefit of this. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and that's why we're, we're so grateful for the opportunity and, and death is part of life and people also avoid thinking about death. I mean, it was, it's almost, I hear if, if he dies, if I die and it's like, you know, um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like focusing on your advanced healthcare directive figuring it out, going towards those decisions and those discussions and their difficult ones, and then putting it aside and getting on with life. It's, you know, that's an example of um, a grief process because you're actually, you know, admitting to yourself and maybe others and your family whom you're having those discussions with, that yes, I am going to die someday. And um, it's a good time to think about it. And you might be 20 years old and be ready for that kind of a conversation. Um, actually, they, the advice from the, the experts in that field is um, early adulthood to create that kind of document for the sake of your family and your loved ones. Um, and I think the statistic that and I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but I think the statistic that um, matters about that is, you know, accidental death and especially, you know, young people in our culture. Well, there's so. such a value to having those conversations. You're listening to Embracing the Journey on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. My guest is Cynthia Mylucky. And with, she is the Bereavement and Community Services Manager with Hospice of the Foothills. And we're talking about grief. Cynthia, how long does grief last? 
There is no answer to that. It lasts as long as it lasts. It's pain. You know, grief is very painful. And a physical pain, you know, you're going to feel better when it stops hurting. Well, you know, grief, emotional pain is kind of like that. So again, it's different for everyone. And um, I've had people come to me and, and say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I can't stand feeling like this anymore. And there is no other way but to go through it. And um, most people need support for that. And I think the overreaching reason for that is we are a death-defying society. So, you know, if we're not going to die, then, or lose people, <laughs> you know, have people die that we love, then we're not going to grieve. And it's just so not the truth. And it, this is, is a very, yeah, that's kind of the So not the truth. Thing. Well, are there different kinds of, of grief? I've heard the term anticipatory grief. What is that? Well, that's very similar to grief after a loss of any kind. Um, but particularly, you know, we're talking about death today. So um, anticipatory grief um, doesn't necessarily mean, for example, your loved one comes on to hospice and, you know, for you have weeks, months, maybe longer, uh, but you don't know. It's the big mystery, right? So... At that point, um, you start grieving. And it doesn't mean that you're going to grieve less after that person dies, but you're certainly not, it's certainly different than suffering a sudden loss, especially if it's a sudden, violent, unexpected loss, like an accident. Um, sudden loss overwhelms most people's um, coping mechanisms, even people that have really good uh, coping mechanisms really are broadsided by sudden loss. So, so it's a subject that it behooves all of us to learn a little more about. And so we can support ourselves and each other. And are there ways that we avoid um, avoidance patterns that we might have around grief? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the best coping mechanisms, and especially after, um, you know, the initial death and the shock of the death is busyness. We are a busy culture, right? But that's not a bad thing. I mean, and certainly there are so many things to do. And I would say that whole year with a spousal death, or, you know, if you're managing someone's affairs, uh, you know, it's through the tax season. I mean, it's huge. It is. Uh, and, and for some people, they've never done that part of, you know, a partnership, you know, maybe the wife handled all the finances. So, um, so the busyness is a way to avoid, um, in, there the other short term, in the short term, it's not such a bad coping mechanism, but it's pretty lousy as time goes on. And, um, so it's easy to develop a habit of, you know, being too busy or being too distracted, you know, by life. Um, and it could be really positive. Um, and a lot of people, I've been with a lot of people that that pattern can continue for years and grief doesn't go anywhere. It waits. And well, there's a, a word that I, I, I've seen that you use displacing. Is that 
what happens when we get too busy? What does we that can. mean? We can, and we and there's a lot of things. It's a wonderful world, right? <laughs> there's a lot of really interesting things and a lot of interesting people. And, um, you know, sometimes, especially I think in long-term marriages, um, if there are issues in the marriage that don't get healed for whatever reason, and you take on a new partner too soon, then you're kind of carrying your baggage forward. So a lot of uh, people that are grieving also need individual support from skilled counselors, which we don't offer here at hospice. Our, our model is more of that you know, year to year and a half after the death of a loved one. But certainly, you know, it's a great opportunity to use that word to heal on, to heal whatever is within, you know, again, speaking of, of grief and those, that internal experience. So does it just affect our emotions or does it affect our bodies? You know, it's, I think that has been probably the whole hospice model of holistic care um, is just as applicable to grief as it is to, to end of life and dying. And that is that we're not just our physical bodies. We're not just our spiritual, emotional, or mental selves. It's the four quadrants, as Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talked about. And one always affects the other, even if you don't understand how or why that's the big booby prize sometimes why and it, that's a good that's a that's not a good place to be stuck but it is a place where you know the need to understand we can get stuck there too and grief is not healed in that logical um, cognitive brain it's healed in our creative intuitive brain so if i'm understanding this correctly that by dealing with our grief and, and, and taking the steps, whatever steps we need to take to deal with it, we actually, our bodies can feel better, stronger, healthier, more energetic. Yes, yes. So there's another term that's that relatively new to me in grief and complicated grief. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, what makes a grief complicated? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Yeah, what does it mean? So, you know, all grief is complicated to some degree. So it's, it's an industry term that I think I, pre I prefer to use prolonged grief. And because it's not a cookie cutter, you know, some people, it takes years to integrate a profound loss like the death of a long um, term spouse. Other people, you know, tend to move through rather quickly. So um, the other factors in, in grief are, you know, your history, how you've grieved in the past, your personality, um, the relationship to the deceased. Uh, there are so many factors as well as factors of resiliency within an individual. And those can range from, you know, strength of spirit to resources, uh, tangible resources like um, finances and, um, and, the, and the true wealth in life, uh, the, the support of friends and community. 
I love that. The true wealth in life. That's a beautiful thought. So there's also uh, in some of the information that you'd sent me uh, trauma in grief. And so what's that? Yes. Um, sometimes there is trauma in grief, even, even if the, um, the death is on hospice. Um, death doesn't always go according to a script. You know, um, a lot of people erroneously feel that if they've just started hospice, well, they're going to live for six months. And that's not always true. They may live longer. You know, no one really has a crystal ball, including physicians. I mean, they, they make some really educated guesses. So, you know, it's um, trauma can be just, just a, a fairly normal death. Um, but can produce more intense feelings. Again, we're dealing with, as we talked about the anticipatory grief, they're all very similar um, feelings in grief and they affect um, every part of us. So if one, I'll give you an example. So I had a client who was a very um, devout religious person and her husband upon his deathbed lost his faith to put it that way and um, her crisis was it was very traumatic for her and her grief response was prolonged and and that's basically what trauma will do and because it really um, affected her core beliefs and, you know, those are the things that take us through our day-to-day -day existence and give us a sense of security in the world. And, and her whole world was um, turned upside down because of that crisis of faith. So that sounds huge. And, and also things like nightmares, um, fearfulness, mm -hmm. uh, disbelief. Those are all parts of the trauma. Is that right? I talked to a... Um, uh, an adult child today whose uh, mother died and she and this is very common and if you still have a parent that's living then the fear goes towards that other parent and if they're frail and elderly yeah the fear just the fear of that can produce trauma-like um, response to grief and it's pretty common with all grief that we play a tape in our head. I like to say that, um, you know, in order to normalize the kind of the, the feeling that, you know, I'm losing my mind bit um, to what I like to say is it's your brain on grief, trying to make sense of to come up with a coherent narrative of what happened and and how it affected you ultimately and it's a long process um you know sometimes the facts of dying especially if one is not well prepared um can overwhelm that factual story and what happened can overwhelm the griever and then it takes a while to get back to their own thoughts and feelings about how it's affected them well, you're listening to embracing the journey on kvmr I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and my guest today is Cynthia Mylicki, with the Bereavement and Community Services Manager for Hospice of the Foothills, and we're talking about grief, and we're, we're just 
talking about trauma and grief. And, and to me, hearing this actually is, it, it, it feels better to know this information and knowing that if you're sleepless or disoriented um, or having flashbacks, that that's, that's just part of the grief process. Somehow knowing that makes me feel better about what it is to grieve. Mm-hmm. And people have different symptoms, Lori. That's some people are very angry and anger is not, you know, uh, it's very normal part of grief, not for everyone. Um, depression is very normal in grief and clinical depression, you know, develops over time for some people. So, Again, everyone is so unique and their healing journey is different from anyone else's. Well, how do we cope with our new normal? What does that look like when we're grieving and and how do we move forward? Yeah, again, uh, coping is different for everyone. It helps to have some self-awareness on board so that you know what might be helpful for you, what may not. Um, I get a lot of phone calls from people that are, are, do, are asking for support, which is a very good sign, resiliency factor. Um, and a lot of what we support, what we offer here are support groups, and they're not for everyone. Um, you know, sometimes, and right now it's a virtual world at Hospice of the Foothills with uh, support groups. So, Sometimes people need individual work and, you know, sometimes people do quite well um, seeking out um, other tools um, and especially expressive arts, things like journaling, um, uh, different tools that can help us be in that creative, intuitive brain and, and, and move that healing process down into our our bodies, um, because that's where grief gets stuck and it needs to come out. So I think the tool of sharing your healing stories is probably the, it's not the one size that fits all. Some people have a really hard time talking about their thoughts and emotions, but um, a lot of people benefit just from having an attentive listener, someone who might, you know, be hearing the story for the hundredth time, but realizes that that's what this person needs is to is to tell that healing story again, and acknowledge that, you know, huge change that it's made in their life. And eventually, that coherent narrative, you know, develops, and, and then people are able to kind of move into that stage or phase of going forward in their lives and creating a, a, a new life and integrating, you know, the love of that person or people or whatever in a way that um, doesn't, you don't put them in the past, you, you somehow find a way to go forward with those memories. And remembering is a, is a strong, powerful tool. This is uh, what I am interested in terms of like the healing stories. But if you're trying to support somebody who has had a a situation in their life and they're grieving, grieving it, 
sometimes it doesn't always sound like healing as, as they share their pain. And so how do we help them? And it's so easy to feel like we're not helping or that we're saying the wrong thing. So what are your tips for being that supportive person in somebody else's life? Yeah, sometimes it can be really difficult, especially if within the family system, the grieving family system, you've got maybe five people who are all grieving the death of that person and they're grieving it. They're grieving it. Their grief is different for each of them. And it's really hard to hold another's grieving. So in the case of a parent um, trying to support a child grieving, um, you know, out of absolute love and, and caring for that child, they can um, actually contribute to what's known as um, silent grief with children. So you protect that child so much from your grief and from their grief that they don't go through this normal process. So sometimes we have to go beyond our, the people we love the most um, and seek out outside help and develop tools that work for us. And if we're an introvert, you know, that might be more challenging for someone that is, is able to join a group or able to call a grief counselor and talk about their grief. So it's, um, you know, some support is really a show of health and strength to ask for support. And most people need it in some form. I, do agree that we, most of us do need that. And uh, we have just a few minutes left. So I wanted just to make sure that listeners know that they can contact hospice and the programs that you have. And then I think you have a poem to read to us. I do. I do. And certainly call hospice, look at our website. We do have uh, grief services here available, not only for those that we serve on hospice, but also for the community. We are a, a hub for the community for grief. And the poem I'd like to share, and we do this at hospice, it's part of our business meetings and it's certainly part of our grief program. And if you ever find a poem printed on purple paper, it's probably from Hospice of the Foothills. Grief is a room, invisible. You are pushed into it. For a while, it is the only room in your house. You stumble around, no lights, no clocks, no windows, empty. When darkness is dark enough, enough, you cross the threshold, return to the visible world, dust on your desk, on the fruit bowl, kitchen, remember to eat, living room, agree to talk. When dust shapes your living skin, you'll step outside. Sun and wind will be at play and you'll find yourself smiling. Really, I mean, find yourself. You've been lost all this time. You have the whole world. You have the whole place back now. But that room will always be there and the door will always be open. And that's a poem by Patricia Runkle. Thank you, Cynthia. That, that just gives me tingles to listen to it. 
And any final words before we wrap up here? I think as we go into this, you know, darkest night coming up with the uh, solstice next week, I think I want to just urge everyone to um, remember to reflect, to reduce your stress, and to remember. Thank you, Cynthia. I'm Lori Burkhart. I've been talking with Cynthia Mylicky with the bereavement. She's the bereavement and community services manager with Hospice at the Foothills on Embracing the Journey on KBMR. You can tune in and listen to Embracing the Journey on the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. Thank you to our engineer, Ralph Henson and Jeff Wright for our theme music.